and one. So we're excited about um, having this Super Sunday. You know what's great about followers of Jesus Christ, though? We celebrate Super Sunday every Sunday, right? The world gets Super Bowl Sunday once a year, but we get Super Sunday every service, and we're so excited for you guys to be here online. We're very excited for you to be with us as well. Um, all of our guests, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Well, let's welcome our guest here into Triumph. If you are a guest, right, right in front of you, hopefully in your, in your seat back, there is a little um, pamphlet. Um, we won't bother you. I promise you I won't show up at your house. I can't promise Pastor Randon won't. You will be given your address. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we just want to serve you. We want to meet any need that we can. We want to pray with you um, and just connect with you. And so if you would, fill that out for us. Um, and so and drop it. It, it kind of has a little perforation. You can tear it off. Drop it in the offering bucket so that we can connect with you guys and, and do anything we can for you. So um, speaking of offering, it's offering time and triumph. We're excited about that. It's a great time to worship God in our giving. Um, giving is not only in finances. It's of your, of your mindset, your prayer, your, your life in general. But at this time, we do get to give our, uh, of our finances to back to God. So that's a wonderful time. So at this time, we just want to pray over our offering so that God would multiply it um, for his kingdom. Lord, we thank you for all of those that have gathered here today with us. Lord, I thank you and, and anticipation for the presence and the word that's going forth. God, I ask for your anointing would just fall in this place and change our lives together. God, I ask that you would bless this offering. God, multiply it. Multiply our ability to spread your gospel around the world for your kingdom, for the betterment of this world. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. morning triumph I don't um, Josh I don't need any monitor up here you can kill me if you'd like to I mean don't kill me it's not let me let me rephrase you can turn me off up here if you would like to um, so good to be with all of you today uh, grab your Bibles uh, after you've had the chance to give turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 6 we are uh, going to be concluding today uh, our series that we've been in uh, as we talk about these four promises that God made us, these I will statements of God, four things that he will do. I will bring you out. It's the, it's the cup of sanctification. It's the promise of salvation. He said, I will free you. It's the cup of deliverance and the promise of freedom that uh, even though we're out of slavery, God then has to get the slavery out of us. Uh, and then number three is the, in which we talked about last week, is the cup of redemption or the cup of restoration. That God wants to redeem you and restore you and give you purpose again. He, he wants to give you a future again. And today we're going to complete the cycle because God didn't just want to leave us there. He, he saved us. He set us free. He redeemed us. But then he wants to do one more thing. He wants to set us up so that we can make a difference in our world. We were not called to just live, just to exist, 
uh, or, or just to enjoy our uh, walk with God in our life, but we were called and sent to this earth, sent to this time so that you could make a difference in your world and in your life. I want you to consider this uh, as we set this day up. When God thought about you, the Bible says that God knew you before he formed you in his mother's womb. He already knew you. He knew who you were. He knew what you were about. He knew your strengths. He knew your weaknesses. He knew all the things that, that he designed you to do. And here's what God did with you. He looked at all of creation from Adam to the moment when Jesus comes back again. And he looked for the perfect time and the perfect place to set you in. And he put you in that place in order to make the biggest difference possible. In order to make it the biggest impact possible. You weren't a mistake. You weren't born out of your time or out of your season. You weren't born in the, with the wrong people or in the wrong place. God put you in the right place and in the right time to make a difference. And this is what the fourth cup is all about. So, so we read in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verse 6 and 7. And uh, God says to him, Therefore the Israelites say, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's number one. Number two, I will free you from being slaves to them. Number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then number four, and I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. These are, these are the four I will promises of God he made. Now the Bible is full of promises. These are four specific things that he showed us with the, Egypt, with the Israelites when they were in Egypt. And he's been trying to do ever since all throughout history. I will do these four things. The fourth is this. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. The fourth cup is what's referred to as the cup of praise. Remember from uh, one of our earlier weeks, we talked about how there were uh, like 14 different parts to this big Passover meal. You didn't just sit, sit around and eat a few things. There was 14 specific parts. This is the part called Hallel. Hallel. Everybody say that with me. Hallel. You might recognize this word, H-A-L-L-E-L, because it's the root word from a word you say all the time, which is hallelujah, or hallelujah, right? So the, the word hallelujah literally translates praise to God. Yah is the same word there as Yahweh or Yahovah. Are you tracking with me? So, so it's hallel, lu is to, and then it's Yah or God. So this, this, the simple word, you're learning some Hebrew today, is praise be to God. So this cup is all about praise. It's all about, uh, and, and you can imagine, look, you've been sitting around for over an hour now, almost two hours. You've been eating. You've been celebrating. They're, they're on at least their fourth cup of wine at this point. They're having a good time. It's about time for some, they've been deep. You know, they, they've been deep in it. They were remembering their slavery. They were remembering the bitterness of all the difficult they went through. They've been thanking God for redeeming them and thanking God for restoring them. But remembering all of these things. And finally they get to this cup of praise. And it just seems to me like somebody turned around and said, you know what, can we lift the room in here? It's a little too deep. And so they lift and they lighten the mood and it's all about praise. But it's not just about singing a song or giving a shout. It's, this fourth cup is about the joy that comes from recognizing all that God has done. 
It's, it's, it's deeper than just, well, it feels good to be in, in church today. No, it's something that starts deep on the inside of us. He didn't just save me. He didn't just heal me. He didn't just set me free. But he didn't just redeem me. But he gave me something else. This cup of praise is all about fulfillment. The cycle is complete when I find the fulfillment that I've been looking for in my life. Um, it's, it's the praise or the celebration of the completion of the cycle. It's a reflection of your soul. It's, it's a, a joy that comes from living life to the fullest. It's a joy that comes from being fulfilled. You know, I've found a lot of things in my life that, that I want to do. How many of you have a bucket list in your life? Bucket list. I've got a bucket list, and, and mine's separated up into multiple different parts. Um, so I've got some relational things that I want to see. I, I want one of these days, I want to take my wife, uh, no kids, I just want to take my wife to Paris. And uh, actually, I just want to take my wife anywhere without my kids. But, um, <laughs> but I, want to take my, I want to take my wife to Paris. You know, uh, our 15, we celebrated 15 uh, years of marriage last January. So this January was 16 years. I know what you're thinking, and what you're thinking right now is, man, he is a lot younger than he looks like. But, uh, our plan was to go to Hawaii, but we didn't, when we made that plan, because always we were like, we're going to go to Hawaii on our 15th year anniversary, but then we had kids way too early. And so we ended up on the cheaper version of Hawaii. We didn't get there. But one of these days, I want, I want to take my wife to Paris, and I want to walk around, and it's the most romantic city in the world, and I want to see the sights and the Eiffel Tower and all those wonderful things. I want to go there. I want to spend, and that's one of the relational things I have in my life. Um, I want to see, you know, it's, it, with my relationship with my kids, I, I want to take, uh, I, I want to see them live a fulfilled life. I want to see them graduate from high school, graduate from college, and accomplish their dreams. And part of my role in life is to do everything I can to set them up and put the, the belief in them that they can go for big dreams, but then the diligence and the, and the resources to go and accomplish them, right? Like, I don't want to leave my kids at just being dreamers. I want to give them what it takes to go accomplish their dreams. These, these are relational things. I've got some ministry things I want to do. It's, it's my goal that before I'm done, uh, all of the debt at Triumph Church is completely paid off. And that Triumph Church is, is 100% debt-free. Uh, when I look at, and uh, I, man, uh, Tom Ferguson does an amazing job serving with us on our board of directors here, representing, representing uh, Triumph Sugarland. Uh, and, and Tom knows the, the amount of money that goes into taking care of a building when I think about what we could do ministry-wise, to advance the kingdom of God, man, we need to be debt-free. We, we, we need to be debt-free. That's one of the goals I have. I want to build a home for sex tra trafficking victims. Uh, I don't know how much uh, that you have studied on this, but I-10 is a corridor and a highway for sex trafficking. And uh, I, just, I just believe that we, we can do something about it. And, you know, we've, we've supported things overseas, but I want to do something here at, at home and, uh, and help these young girls and, and at times young kids uh, get out of that life and set them up on their feet again. That, that's something that's in my heart to do. I'll tell you another thing I want to do is, and um, I've been a part of, I've traveled all over the world doing missions, and I love missions, but one of the things that I want to do is adopt a nation. And, and I just want you to consider with me, sometimes I feel like I send a little bit of resources all over the world and don't feel like I'm making an impact. 
And, and I would love uh, for God to allow us to adopt one nation that we could get our hands around, you know, starting with a city, then going to a nation. And, and when, when our lives are said and done, we can look down from heaven and say, we had a part in that. We impacted that nation. You know, not just America, but another nation. Doesn't that sound like good to you? Like, that's like ad- adopt a nation. So these are, these are things uh, ministry-wise that are in my heart to do. They're, they're bucket list items. Then I just have some random things. So in about two years or so, two and a half years, I'll turn 40. And I'm mourning this uh, already. I'm, go- I'm going into a two and a half year period of mourning uh, <laughs> over this. I was, I was driving down the road yesterday explaining to my son what a midlife crisis was. And, uh, but one of the things I want to do on my 40th birthday is I want to go climb a mountain. And I, and I don't mean, like my wife was all in with me uh, because we turned 40 on the same year. And she's like, let's do it, Randon. And then I said, no, 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 I don't mean like go hike up a hill. No, I, if I don't have an ice pick, it doesn't count. I don't even really have to use it, Garfield. I just want it. You know, like if, if I'm not in a tent with the wind blowing, like, like I'm on Mount Everest, it doesn't count. I don't want to climb Mount Everest. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a little too lofty of a goal. But I, I, want, to go, I want to go tackle something and climb, and I, I, want to, I want to have to come home and tell my wife, no, I didn't get frostbite. Like that's, that's what I'm going for. Some of y'all think I'm crazy right now, don't you? Just, just, just random, random goals that I want to see in my life. One of my goals on my bucket list that I actually got to ch- check off this year, I've always wanted to go to Israel. And specifically when I was there, I wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River. Why? Because that's, where, that's the river that Jesus was baptized in. So Garfield went with us this year, and we had the chance to go to Israel. Unbelievable, life-changing trip. And so we go down one day, and we're going to go get baptized in the Jordan River. Well, I didn't think I was doing any baptizing. I was just going there to receive from the Lord, right? I was going for another dip. I just want you to know the Jordan River is so cold. I, I, have, I have swam, literally, I'm not, I'm, not playing, I'm not kidding about this. I have swam in the Arctic Ocean. I'm not sure the Jordan River wasn't colder. So I go down, and all the preachers that were doing the baptizing for my group, baptizing for my group they all get these nice wetsuits. Not Randon. Randon's just in his swim trunks and the little white robe. I'm just going to walk down in the river and get baptized. And about the time we get going, the bishop looks at me and goes, I'm like, I don't have a wetsuit on. So? (laughs) Here we go. So now I'm the only one in the river that's baptizing people. Can't feel my feet. Sure, they're attached, but they haven't felt them in several minutes. And then, and then to make matters worse, they have this ramp that you kind of go down and walk up. So we're, we're, we're late, so we're baptizing a lot of people at one time. And so our group is way up the ramp. So the water only comes to about right here. Now, understand, this is nice when you're just floating around, but when you're trying to baptize people and get them all the way under the water, now you're, you're, you're trying to, like, you know, get under them. Like get, so dad has this great idea. He's on that side and I'm on this side. And he says, let's go couples at a time. Let's baptize two at a time. This is, this is real, real life here. Now the ramp is slick. You know, it gets the little, you know, it gets that little slime stuff on the, on the rock and it's just slick. So here I am going to help baptize. The first couple that comes through is, uh, or maybe the second couple that comes through is my aunt and uncle who passed her in uh, Jasper, Texas. And my aunt's real short, 
and my uncle's like 6'4". Of course, my dad reaches over and grabs my aunt's hand and says, you come on over here. <laughs> and I, I'm looking up at my uncle going, all right, now you're a big fella, and, and I love you and everything, but how are we going to do this? <laughs> no, no joke, this is a true story. So we go to baptize, and I'm like, I've got everything I've got. I'm trying to get my right leg underneath. My foot is slipping, so we're going down. I didn't get him all the way under the water. So he gets to like right here, and he's... <laughs> And just his nose is sticking out, right? Just his nose is sticking out. And so I start lifting back up, and I'm going, Holy Spirit right now. And, and so I'm like lifting him back up, and as I come back out, he goes, You didn't get me all the way under. <laughs> He's from Jasper. He's a little country. And so I'm like, Oh, Lord. So we go down. <laughs> I'm like splashing water on his thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was, it was, uh. It was, it was amazing, but I'm going to tell you that having the opportunity to be baptized right there, and, and I kid, and it was after my baptism, it was all fun for, for the rest of the time, but man, when I went down in those waters, there was something powerful about it, and I was baptized as a kid at a very young age, but man, something changed in me when I went under those waters. I'll tell you that when we go back to Israel, and my wife's declaring we're going next year, um, I don't know that that's the case. But she's speaking, she's, she's prophesying it into, into the spirit. Um, it's a very expensive trip. I won't lie to you. It's cost a lot of money. But it is so worth it. It is so worth it. The, the things, when we were standing, when we walked into what is believed to be the tomb that Jesus was in, it was powerful. Got to check that off my bucket list. I keep this list, and if, if you know, it's on my iPad at all times. I have it on on my notes, and uh, my goal is to try to check things off every single year. Why? Because I'm trying to live this fulfilled life. I don't want to just exist. One of my worst fears in life is to be born, to live, even live a very comfortable life, and then die, and the world is the same as when I got here. I want to accomplish some things. I want to fulfill some things in my life. I want to know, God, why am I here? What did you call me to do? How did you call me to make a difference? And then when I leave, make sure that, God, I don't know if I got it all done or not, but did I get anything done? When, and, and this is my goal. When I go through those gates of heaven, I want to be able to say, I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Understand this. And, and people get a little upset with me, but I'm going to mess with your theology just for a moment. Okay. In the church, we use the term faithful to mean they always show up. But here's what Jesus said. This is not on my notes right now, but here's what Jesus said about the word faithful. Remember, he, took, he went to the one and he gave one, one talent and another two talents and another five talents. And the first guy with five came back and doubled it. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you five according to your ability, and you doubled it. You did something with it. You accomplished something with it. You're faithful. The second guy with two comes in. He said, look, look the, the God returned. The, the, the master returns. He took the two, turned it into four. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? I'm going to give you even more. Why? Because he took what was given to him, and he multiplied it. The guy with one comes in. He had put his in a handkerchief. He had hid it under the mattress so no one would find it. He took very good care of it. And when the master came back, he said, here's the one you gave me. I took good care of it. And he didn't call him faithful just for showing up. 
He didn't call him faithful just for making sure he, did, he got to church every Sunday morning. He didn't go, call him faithful just for making sure he, he lived a good life. No, no. He said, depart from me, you wicked and evil servant. See, we equate faithfulness just as, ah, I showed up every Sunday of my life. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I gave you salvation. I gave you restoration. I gave you freedom. What did you do with it? So when I, when I, face, when I face Jesus, I want to be able to say, I, I want to be able to say, look, Lord, this is what you gave me in my life. And here's what I was able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and, and his, his work in my life. This is what was able to happen. And I want to hear him say those words, good and faithful servant. I want to live a life fulfilled. What kind of life do you want to live? That's what this cup is all about. Uh, I better get back to my notes here. Y'all okay this morning? Notice what he says here in, in chapter 6, verse 7. He says, I will take you as my own people. Here's what I want to point out to you. He didn't say he would take you to be a fulfilled person. He said he'll take you to be a fulfilled people. What's the difference? One is an individual. The other is a group. God said, I want to make you a people group. I, I want to make you a people. I want to make you a unit. I want to make you a team. I want to make you, if you put it in New, New Testament language, I want to make you a church. If you want to live a fulfilled life, one of the reasons that we struggle to do that is because when we try to do it on our own, we can never accomplish it. You aren't called to live a fulfilled life on your own. You can never be fulfilled without the people that God has put in your life. He wants to make you a fulfilled people. It's just simply impossible to drink the cup of fulfillment without being a part of a people. He designed us this way. And many of us fail to live a life of fulfillment because we're trying to do it alone. Here's what Ecclesiastes says, chapter 4, verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his own wealth. Notice, here's this one guy alone. He's working hard every day. He gets up, he goes to work, he tries real hard, he puts in all the effort, he's toiling, and yet there was no end to his toil and there was no content with his wealth. You can make all the money in the world, but you'll never find fulfillment unless you're a part of a people. You can work as hard as you want to in your life, but you're never going to find what your heart is really seeking until you find it in a people. This is the fourth promise of God. I'm not going to make you a fulfilled person. I'm going to make you a fulfilled people. Are you a part of a people? Doing life alone is just simply not worth the effort. Doing life with others makes the toil and the reward worthwhile. I was studying here a while back, and some of you may have, have read this before. Uh, when I was in college, I had a, a, an interest in psychology. I thought for a while I wanted to get my degree in psychology, and uh, I didn't, but I, I'm, I find it a very interesting, uh, a, very, a very interesting subject. So I, I love to learn about personalities and people. I deal with people every day. This is, this is what I do, so I love to learn about people. And so I was reading and studying one day, uh, Dr. Abraham Maslow wrote a book in 1943 
And it's called the hierarchy, hierarchy of needs, or it's about the hierarchy of needs. And uh, he, he said, he was talking about that here's was his theory on what motivates people. And, and we have these needs, and they're what drives us and keeps us going. And we're, when they're not met, we're motivated with action to go start meeting them. So he started with five, and then in the 60s and 70s, he added three more. Here they are. I'll go through them really quickly. The first one is a physical need. Right? This is very basic. This is very fundamental. We, we need to eat. We need air to breathe. We need water to drink. You know, we need air, food, water, warmth. We need sleep. These are the basic things we need to survive. So this is, this is the, the fundamental things, but you see this in your life. So I grew up, and all of you know my father, and if you've ever spent much time around them, he is very, very much, his day is driven by his need to eat on time. I, I remember growing up working with him, and we'd be in the middle of a meeting. He'd be in mid-sentence, like he's, he's talking, and suddenly he would stop and go, I'm hungry. And he would like get up and walk out of the room. I'm not joking. Like we're in, we're in mid, you know. There's 20 people in the room, mid staff meeting, and all of a sudden he go, "I'm hungry," and I'll be, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll be John Brown if you wouldn't look down at your watch, and it would be like 11:58, because something went off in his body, and at noon, I remember hit the the rule when I was in college always was if I went to lunch with Dad, he would pay. Well, I'm in college, I'm always broke, so. I remember multiple times looking at my watch and realizing, oh, no, it's 12 o'clock, and my office was upstairs. And I would bust out running through the office, all the way down the stairs, through the office, out the door. And he had this big, big uh, uh, one-ton truck, long wheelbase. And I remember, I remember this one time running out the office and diving off of the sidewalk into the back of the truck. And he stops, and he opens the back window. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm broke, and I'm hungry. <laughs> we, we had... Uh, my, he was, I was so embarrassed this week. We, my daughter's uh, varsity softball game. So the, he, he shows up, and he's going to come watch his granddaughter play. Got aunts, uncles there, my nieces and nephews. We're all there. We don't know anybody, right? We're brand new to this school. She's a freshman on the team. We're like, we're just trying to fit in. That's all we want to do. Don't make any waves. Don't make any scenes. Just be nice to people, right? And so I'm sitting in the stands, and I go out to meet him, and he says, as soon as he walks in, he's like, I'm hungry. Where's the concession stand? And I said, Dad, they don't have a concession stand tonight. It's, it's a scrimmage. They just don't have it tonight. He goes, nope, can't take it. Going to get a burger. And he leaves. <laughs> and he leaves. So, I mean, we're sitting like, okay, we're waiting. They're warming up. And, you know, oh, he's not here and he's not here. The, the, the burger joint's at the corner of the school. I mean, it's like right there. And he's like, we're not here. We're not here. And uh, so finally... He sends a text. He said, send the boys out to help me. He comes walking out into the stands with a box of burgers, two bags of fries, like, and a case of a bottled water. He just brought the whole case. And here's me. Like, I'm a rule follower. You don't do this in the stands. You know, and people are like, hey, if you bring one for somebody, you got to share with everybody. And I'm like, so embarrassing, but here's the deal. He don't care at all. He's like a grandpa. His life totally exists to embarrass the people around him as a grandpa. It's all good. I was so embarrassed, but here's, here's my point. He's driven by this physical need. His need to watch his granddaughter was outweighed by his need to eat. This is my dad. This is the way I grew up. And, uh, and, and you know what? It's, it's made me the same way. I'm telling you what, at 12 o'clock, I've been doing this intermittent fasting thing. At, at 12 o'clock, which is when I get time to eat, like we're going to eat right now. Number two is safety. 
We need safety. We need safety in our lives. So we're driven by a need for safety. It's, it's, why, uh, it's why we have an army, and it's why people join the military. One of the reasons why people join the military. It's, it's, but it's more than that. It's, it's the need to build a home. It's the need to have a, a safe place. It's, it's why you don't want to go live out under a tree. Because uh, especially as men, we have the need. We could stay, we could sleep in the tent, but we know that our family needs shelter and needs safety. It's why we have order. It's why we have limits. It's why we have laws. It's, it's, it's the stability that we need in our life. Number three, we, ha- we, need, we have a need for love, for belonging, for family, for affection, for relationships, for intimacy, for marriage. I mean, some of you say, well, I don't want any of that. That's fine. Not all of us are driven by the same needs at the same level. But number five is esteem. We, we, ha, we, we have a need for esteem. This starts with self-esteem, self-esteem, but it continues on to things like achievement. You know, we have, there are people that have lots of self-esteem, but they have a drive to achieve things. Some people need recognition. Uh, some people need to be complimented. You know anybody in your life that needs to be complimented? A lot. This is, it's because they're driven by an, a need for esteem. Number six. Uh, cognitive needs. This is the need for knowledge. This is the desire to grow in your mind, to, to know the meanings of things. You just want to know. You just want to understand. Um, it's why you watch the Discovery Channel. Right? You just have uh, my wife. She's she's. If you come to our house, she doesn't watch the Discovery Channel. She's always watching the Weather Channel. This way, because she's always wanting to know what, what's the worst storm of the century. You know, how do you survive this? It's, it's some crazy situation she'll never find herself in. But she wants to know because she has, she's driven by cognitive needs. Aesthetic, aesthetic. This is the appreciation of, appreciation of beauty. It's the desire to see beautiful things or it's being creative. You just want to be creative in your life. Why do you do it? Just because I'm trying to create something. I, why do you draw? Just because I like to. Just because I like to draw beautiful things. It's scenery. It's art. It's music. It's design. Aesthetic. Number eight. And for a long time, Maslow thought this was the highest level of need that, that drove us, was self-actualization. Self-actualization. Um, this is realizing your personal potential. This is self-fulfillment, being the best at something, being the best in your field, being the best at something you do. It's seeking peak experiences. It's, it's living life through the lens of a child. Just uh, you, you know, when a child sees something for the first time, their eyes open and, it's, and they're learning and they're growing. It's, it's this type of approach to life. It's taking responsibility for your life and working hard. It's identifying your defenses and, and giving them up and, and trying to grow. It's a wonderful thing that, that should drive us. But then we recognize there is an eighth need, and this was the need for transcendence. And this is what the cup of fulfillment is all about. It's not just about being the best. It's not just about growing. It's not just about learning. But the greatest need in every person's life is the need to make a difference. It's the need to live the ultimate life. It's the need to be a part of something bigger than we are. This is what God is inviting us to be a part. It's when we look beyond our needs and we help others. See, real joy doesn't come from just making money or having a lot of pleasure. It doesn't come from just things. Real joy comes from knowing that my life is making a difference. And in the kingdom of God, my life is making the difference for eternity in someone else. So what Maslow thought he discovered is something that's been in Scripture for thousands of years. That God wants to make us a part of something that's bigger than just us. If you can do it on your own, you're thinking too small in the lens of God. If you can do it without a people, that's not what God's talking about. 
So how do we drink this cup, number one? It's, it begins with a calling. Everyone needs a why. Everyone needs why. Your calling is your why. And people who lose their why tend to lose their way. When you lose the why, you do something in your life. So, and I'll, t- I'll tell you a story, and uh, again, this wasn't in my notes, but Lindsay and I were doing ministry for a long time, and we've been youth pastors, and uh, man, I traveled the world preaching, and I loved doing what I was doing, but the real truth is I didn't have a why in my life. I knew what I was supposed to do, I just didn't really know why. I knew where I was supposed to do it, but I didn't know why. I was doing good things, I was happy, but something was missing. And um, I'm coaching softball with my daughter. She's five, six years old. And coaching six-year-old girls in softball is like herding cats. It's just a hot mess. It's my first time to coach. I signed up to be an assistant. Next thing I know, I'm coaching. I don't even know the girls' names. It's like we've had one practice. A dad showed up to help me. I hardly even know his name. And we're at our first tournament. The umpire calls out the girls out on the field, and the dad stops me, and he says, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. I thought he was going to ask me something softball-related. He doesn't. He says, I hear you're a preacher. I said, well, yes. And I don't know how you knew that, but yes. And he goes, starts to tell me a story. He said, um, got married right out of high school, got pregnant, and, got, and, and thus got married. Had her daughter, who's on the team. And he said, uh, he said, I ended up going off to war, two tours in Afghanistan, ended up getting a divorce from my wife. I came home on, on leave, got married again, got pregnant again. My, that wife left me, took my son, moved to Washington, uh, took my son. And so when I finally came back, now I've been divorced twice. And just recently, I've gotten back together with my first wife. We're not married, but we're living together. And he said, I'd just like to know, what does the Bible say about that? Umpires on the field, coaches! <laughs> okay, so let's, so let's talk about that. So we, we talk about it just for a moment. I said, look, I want to talk to you about it more. But let, he said, I wasn't raised in church. I don't know anything about the Bible. My, his, his mom had serious uh, uh, mental deficiencies, and she had some struggles in her life, and his dad d- didn't ever take them to church, and it was, it was just not a good relationship, and he just said, man, I, I don't know anything about this, but he said, I'd, I'd like to know that we're doing things right in the eyes of God, so we talk about it, invite him to church, comes two Sundays later, and he's sitting, as if I'm standing in our old Beaumont church, he's sitting right over here on the back, he's got his Wranglers on, his big belt buckle, and his boots, and his cowboy shirt on. He's got his ex-wife sitting next to him, and on the other side, he's got his little daughter. And I'm preaching along, and I'm preaching good. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm killing it right at that moment. And in the middle of my message, God stops me, and I, I hear the Holy Spirit say, give a salvation call. And I said, can't do that, Lord. I'm right in the middle of my message. These, these people need to hear what I have to say. I hear God say a second time, we're going to give a salvation call right now. I said, Lord, it's halfway through the sermon time. What are we going to do with the rest of the service? If I give an altar call now, I'm going to have to let everybody out early. <laughs> I know, it seems like a terrible ordeal. 
This is the conversation I'm having with God while I'm preaching. I'm still preaching. And I'm having this conversation with God. And I hear him say the third time, give the call now. Close my Bible. I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm not preaching on salvation. I'm not talking about salvation. None of that. I I don't even know what I was talking about. But it it had nothing to do with salvation. And I stop and I say, you know what, friends? I feel the Holy Spirit's changing something. And we're going to stop today. And we're going to do exactly what God's telling me to do. And we give a salvation call. No clue what I said. Probably mumbled and messed it up and didn't have, I don't even know. Didn't even, probably didn't even talk about the cross or the blood of Jesus or anything. But all I know is I said, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you come and join me at this altar and I want to pray with you. And my friend gets up from over here. He's got his daughter in one hand and his ex-wife in the other hand. And here's this Marine has just come home from two tours overseas. He's seen the worst of the worst. He comes walking down the aisle and with tears streaming down his face, he stops right here. I stepped off the stage. I led the whole family to Jesus. Since then, they turned their lives around. They're remarried. We prayed. They got the home that they had been believing for. They got custody of their son. He prayed and believed God, got the job he had always wanted. But more importantly, it changed everything in me. And I don't want to, I'm not, not diminishing their salvation or what God did, but for me, ministry no longer became about a job or preaching good or any of that stuff. The why for me became about reaching as many people as I can with the gospel of Jesus. I began to look at my life and realize because I didn't have my why, I had lost my way. I wasn't unsaved. I wasn't doing wrong things. I just wasn't on the path that God had for me. Lindsay and I weren't going the way God had us going. We began to change everything in our lives, but it started with this why, this realization there's no way that I can go to heaven and say, Lord, I did a good job pastoring your people, and they all loved me, and I loved them, and we took good care of them, but we didn't reach anybody new. Ren and I put you in a world that was in desperate need of reaching sinners. Yeah, but Jesus, we took care of the ones that were in the church. No, no, no. For, for me... Our why became all about reaching as many families as we can for Jesus. So we do things or don't do things that some people that don't make sense to some people. That's okay. Ask me about my why, because my why is driving me in the way that God has called me to go. So it's, it starts with a why, but then it's driven by a cause. It's driven by a cause. Uh, this why. It it became the cause in my life. I love what Paul said in the book of Acts. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Watch this. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This This was the call that Paul lived with. This this was the this was the cause that drove him. 
when they, were, when they were stoning him and then they were throwing him in prison, when he was shipwrecked, when he was facing imprisonment and, and, and facing Caesar, when time and time again his life was motivated and it was driven by a cause that was bigger than himself. I don't care about the difficulties that I'm going through because there's something motivating me and it's the cause of telling everyone I can about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has grace to cover your sins and to lift you up and he wants to be with you in eternity. What is your cause? You see, here's the thing. You weren't meant to do it alone. You were meant to do it as a people. And my invitation to you today is to make sure that you're a part of a people. Our tribe is called Triumph. But make sure you're part of a people that know your why. And our why is driving us. This cause is driving us to make a difference. You see, there's a story in the book of Acts, or I'm sorry, in the New Testament, and, uh, and Peter's mother-in-law is very, very ill, and she gets healed. And here's what I love about this. She's healed, and the Bible says the very next thing she does is she stood up and started serving people. You see, our natural response when God has saved us and delivered us and he has restored us, the, the very next thing we should be, the natural response is, now how can I serve someone else? How can I get involved and help someone else? How can I get involved with this cause? How can I get involved in doing? And you know, I've realized people that with a cause, people that are serving God and serving other people, they're some of the most fulfilled people I've ever seen in my life. I, I ran into a lady in the, in the, uh, in the Needleland Church uh, a month or so ago, a, couple, a few months ago. Her name is Tanya. And I, I was greeting people in the foyer, and she came walking out of the children's ministry. And, uh, and she was smiling, but she, you could tell she'd been working hard. And, and I said, how are you doing? She said, Pastor, I just want to thank you. I said, thank you for what? And she said, thank you for giving me the chance to serve our kids. I said, what do you mean? I want to thank you because... I can't do what you're doing. And she said, no, 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 don't you understand that every Sunday when my Sunday rolls around, I forget, I think she was the third Sunday. She said, every time that third Sunday rolls around, I wake up in the morning and I realize I get to change a child's life today. She was thanking me. I'm like, I just want to thank, I just want to go take you to Starbucks right now. And she was thanking me. I, I, love, I love our nursery workers who are, are serving right now. God's saved them and healed them and restored them and delivered them. And right now, it's their joy to go and work and take care of our babies. I thank God for the, for the greeters who stand at the front door. And when it's freezing cold the last few weeks, it doesn't matter to them. They're standing up out and opening the door wide for all of you to come in with their smiling face and say, come on in, Jesus is waiting for you. He's been looking for you all week long. We're glad that you're here. There's fulfillment and being a part of a body of being a part of a people. Are you serving? He saved you. He freed you. He restored you. But now, are you being fulfilled? The cause of this church is to talk to as many people as we can, show the love of God to as many people as we can, to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus. If you're in this room and you're saved today, I'm begging you, join me in the cause for reaching some other people. If you're not serving, get involved in our dream team. Get involved in our dream. Why do we call it our dream team? Because we realize that together we're living this, this dream of a fulfilled life. I don't know what your place is, 
But you'll find fulfillment when you find your place. You see, Pastor Ran and I tried the nursery. It was terrible. Hey, you know what? I did too. I made it one Sunday. They kicked me right on out, and I said, thank you for your time, and bless you in the name of Jesus. Find your place. You know what? I, I found my place as, at a very young age. I found my place serving in the media department. That was, that was me. Um, people, I've always been a really shy person. I'm a very much an introvert. People make me nervous, and so I was protected by that little booth back there, and you couldn't get to me for, and, because I could just lock the door on you. Uh, and, and so that, that was me, but I found my place, but I found so much fulfillment. It wasn't about what I was getting paid. It wasn't I wasn't getting paid. I found fulfillment in doing what I felt like God had called me to do. And I realized that from that one little booth, I got to affect every person that walked through the doors. I just, I, I, I'm encouraging you to join and find your place because it's in your place you're going to start to find that fulfillment. And this is the fourth thing that God called us to. And then here's what he said, and I'm closing now. <clears throat> he said, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Here's, here's what I love about God. When you get in your place, you don't have to go it alone. He's going to be your God. He's going to be with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Get in your place and watch how God this is what he did. This is what Jesus did. Not only come to save you, but he said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for the helper would come. The Holy Spirit steps into your life, and he wants to help you live a fulfilled life. It's not just about speaking in another language. It's not just about being able to pray the perfect prayer. The Holy Spirit is there to help you live a fulfilled life. He said, I will be your God. Whatever's going on in your life, he wants to be there with you. That nowhere you, no, no place you go, nowhere you walk do you ever have to walk alone. But he is your God. When you understand the context of what this means. See, the enemy tries to tell us that we're out, we're out there on our own. One of his great goals into life is to get you separated from the pack. Because it's in isolation that he can take you down. Next week, I'll, I'm going to start a new series called Tempted. We're going to talk about how to overcome temptations in your life. And I'm not just talking about how to overcome drugs or how to overcome pornography, but there's a lot of temptations in your life that the enemy uses to pull us away and then to destroy us. It's part of his goal. Part of his goal. And so God's saying, look, I want you to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. Here's what he said. When you're scattered abroad, Israel, I'm going to never leave you or forsake you. I will always have a plan to bring you back. When you're in Egypt, when you're in Babylon, Daniel, when you're out there on your own in the middle of the lion's den, I'm still going to be your God. No matter where you go in your life, if you can get this understanding that I want to be a part of his people and I want him to be my God. And though the enemy may try to pull me away, God's always reaching there to pull me back in. He's always getting me back online. He's always getting me back on track. When I tend to pull my life down in the ditch, God's saying, no, 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 no. Let's get you back up. I want to be your God. This is a cup of praise. It's a cup of celebration. It's a happy moment. It's a, it's a celebration time that we are his people and he is our God. 
that we can find fulfillment. We can find the life that we've been living for. We can, we can live out our hopes and our dreams and all the plans and the purposes that God put on the inside of us. And if you're watching at home right now, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're local here in this area. I want to encourage you to come and join us and be a part of a people. I know that God can touch you right where you are. I know that God can heal you right where you are. I know that God wants to be a part of your life and probably is. But boy, there's something a part of, great about being a part of a people. The feeling, the energy that comes from worshiping God and learning from God and serving the other people, I, I want to invite you to come and be with us and be a part of a people. This is your personal invitation. Come live and join all of us in this life of fulfillment. We're going to close today as we have by taking communion. This is the fourth and final cup. It's shortly after this cup that Jesus said they went out and they sung a hymn and they celebrated. And, and today, I don't want to get deep and dark and 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 all the wonderful things about salvation and his covenant and the blood and all these things. But you know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to smile a little bit. And as we take this cup, it's a cup of praise. We're going to praise and we're going to sing and we're going to have a good time for just a moment. And we're going to lift up our voices to God because he's called us to a life of fulfillment. If you don't have uh, the elements, if you'll just lift your hand really quickly, we've got people coming and, and they'll make sure that you have one. Once you have your elements, if you'd stand with us. All right. So, Lord, we lift this bread to you today. We thank you for your body, which is broken for us. As we look at it, we remember what you did for us. And though, Lord, it, it's a sad day, Lord, you chose to do it because you wanted us to live a fulfilled life. So as we eat this bread today, we break it and we bless it and we do it in remembrance of you. And then, Lord, we lift the cup, the cup of praise, the cup of fulfillment. We thank you that you've called us You've purposed us. You've set us in this world to live a life of fulfillment. You didn't leave us in slavery to sin. You didn't leave us uh, in chains to sin, but you set us free. And then, God, you restored us. You gave us purpose, but then you gave us a people. Lord, I thank you for triumph. I thank you for the people of triumph. I thank you for those that are not here yet, that you are calling home right now. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a cause, a cause to reach people for the sake of your son Jesus, with the grace of God, that he can save them and heal them and set them free also. For everything that he's done for us, he wants to do for them. I thank you for it right now. As we drink this cup, we drink the cup of praise in remembrance of you.
about getting people here. It's about getting you there. And we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing in this world. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. If our pastors and elders will come, if you have a place in your life that you haven't fully given to Jesus, you want to give that place to Jesus, now is the time. If you're going through something in your life and you need help, you need God to be your God, then today is the day. We want to stand, we want to pray with you and believe that God's going to show up in your life to do what he can. So these altars are going to open. I'm going to bless you. The band's going to continue to play and you'll be dismissed. Have a great time. Teenagers, don't forget to be at my house at 5 o'clock tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun pulling for the Rams and eating some food. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And may he put his name, the name of Jesus Christ, on you. God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. These altars are open. The whole of the